All right. The Crave Show. We're back. Season two. We're in 2024, y'all. I can't believe it. And we're here tonight with Jay Russ, myself, and we have a very special guest. I am so excited to have Miss Sharon Harnoy Pilcher with us tonight. Hey, Sharon. How's it going? Awesome. Very good. So glad that you're that you're joining us tonight. Yeah, happy to be here. So, all right, real quick, um, if you're watching this episode, if you have watched any of the Crave courses, like our actually the, the actual courses that we've put together, uh, movement jumps, canopy piloting, wingsuiting, all that stuff, vertical flying, I think most of you guys know, if you've been watching the, the podcast, the show, you know that Jay Russ is one of the instructors, him and Steph did the vertical course, but, um, and you, you may also know if you've watched the movement course, you know that Sharon is one of the instructors for that course. But what probably most of you don't know is how awesome Sharon has been at helping Crave get to where it is today. All the work and effort that she has put into, um, all of the courses that we've, that we've done, even, even a couple of courses, um, maybe that she wasn't able to be a part of the filming, but that she's been a vital part of, of helping us get to where we're at right now. So I want to say, Sharon, thank you so much mm-hmm. for everything that you've done for Crave and for me and for, um, well, for my family, but also just for the skydiving community to help us, to help us do this and make this knowledge available to people. It's really awesome. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I love what you've been doing with Crave. I've been loving the process, working behind the scenes with the courses. has been super fun. And um, I have learned a lot from it too. So it's been great. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like I've learned so much, not just about skydiving, but about life and business and everything. Hmm. You also meet a lot of characters, right? You meet people that have excelled in a very unique sport. So you meet very special people and get an insight to how they think and how they structure their learning. So I feel like being behind the scene gives you an extra extra lens and everything yeah that that's exactly right um and and just meeting i mean the, the instructors and the people that have have taught the courses have been super awesome but also all the people helping with other stuff too like you know um the the camera crew the camera people that we've had josh and trevor and anna and all all those people um and and then going to different drop zones and connecting with you know the drop zone owners and the the people working the manifest and it's just so the skydiving community is so cool. Like there's so many neat people, you know, it's really cool. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I think we should point out that Sharon said characters and you said cool people. <laughs> same thing. <laughs> Not the same thing, but both true. Uh, there you so go. Sharon, it was my understanding and you can confirm or deny this as you like Uh-oh. that, uh, because I told Chris, I don't know, a month ago, Hey, I talked to Sharon about having her on and I think she's going to do it. And Chris said, man, really? I, I asked her and she said, never, no way. <laughs> and I just, I just wanted to point out that a lot can happen between now and never. <laughs> Is that true though, Chris? Did you ask me? No. I asked you like two times and both times I asked you like, no, I'm not doing that. I, I don't seem to remember, but you know, it's Jeras. Can you say no? That, to, hey, he says that, no to Jeras. That's exactly right. That's what I told him. That's what I told him. I was like, yes, get her, Jairus, get her, go for it. I did say no if I'm going to be following up Dan BC. So luckily that uh, didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, Dan will have to follow you. Maybe he'll say no. I don't want to, I don't want the pressure uh-huh. of following her. Exactly. Yeah. Well, hey, what, what you're talking about, 
you know, characters and cool people and fun stuff. I actually, um, and I'm, this won't surprise you, Sharon, but I was going back through, um, and this is for everybody listening. We're working on the, the post-production for Pete Allum's course. Hmm. And so there was actually quite a bit of that course that I wasn't able to be there for the filming. And so some of the, uh, some of the stuff, the editing that's going on right now, I was going through watching some of those videos and it was stuff that I had not seen. I wasn't there when y'all were filming and I was blown away. Like Pete, somebody, who was it? Uh, who was it that I asked him one day before we, before we recruited Pete and asked him to do a course, I asked somebody, Thomas. it was Thomas Hughes. That's who it was. I said, Thomas, what do you think about us trying to get Pete to do a course? And he goes, dude, anything Pete says is gold. And I was watching those videos yesterday and that's exactly right. Like he is so knowledgeable and the stuff he was talking, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to watch the rest of this course because I didn't see most of it. It was so awesome. Yeah. That was one I'm super excited about. It is an incredible human, obviously an amazing skydiver, but just his perspective and how he articulates things. I feel like every conversation I have with him, I learn. So doing the course with him was definitely uh, one of the highlights for me in uh, in the Crave productions. And uh, I can't wait for that course to be out. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Pete's awesome. I, like I'm going to look forward to watching that course as well, but similar to what Sharon said, just not only the knowledge, but the way that he presents it is mm. awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, J. Russ, what, what, do we want, what do we need to know about Sharon? Well, I, I mean, I think for uh, <laughs> for everybody that we have on, I think that there's a there's a brief introduction necessary, and so Sharon, don't leave anything out because if you do, I'll call you on it. But um, <laughs> but uh, you know, a, a little bit about yourself and your history in the sport and your life or whatever whatever you feel like sharing for the people who might watch this, because a lot of our audience, um, I think it tends to be a little bit younger jumpers and sometimes they haven't been introduced to whatever you want to call someone like yourself. A, a All the people. Icon in the sport is what I was thinking, but. Um, <laughs> icon sounds way better than icon old people. Icon sounds way better. Um, but you know, you, you, well, I, I'm going to stop there and let you, let you talk, but don't, don't leave anything out. Mm, yeah. I wasn't prepared <clears> for that. Um, well, the first thing you need to know about me is that I suffer from head colds. So if I sneeze or blow my nose, just forgive me. Uh, whew, talking about yourself is the hardest thing, right? I started jumping in 2000. Obviously, I was five years old. Um, I started uh, jumping in Israel. Uh, so I go. I started jumping in Israel. Um, never really knew skydiving was a sport. Um, but really enjoyed it. I was trying to stretch out my FF as long as possible because uh, I was having a good time and I didn't want it to end. And I never imagined that I would do one skydive, one skydive over the course. Uh, but from here to there, I ended up starting to work at the drop zone on the weekends, started to jump more and more, um, represented Israel, one nationals in Israel for free flying, uh, two-way or three-way camera. Um, represented Israel in world competitions for five years. Yes. I have a question. Was the team that you won with, was that Brain Pop? Brain Pop. Yeah. Brain Pop. And who was your, who was your, the, 
other female that was on the team with you, or was it three females? It was uh, a female and a camera guy. The camera guy rotated every year. They could okay. only they could only hang with us for a year or two. After that, it was too much. Don't blame it takes me. A, it takes a special breed. It takes a special mm. breed. We ended up with Luis Panetto for our last year. Oh, so really? That, Are you serious? Really, yeah, Luis Panetto did video for us. Oh, yes. I didn't know that. That's he funny. Represented Israel. Yeah, yeah. That That's was cool. Mm-hmm. So Adi Fried, oh. she's one of the owners of Flybox, uh, the tunnel in Israel. Awesome oh, okay. tunnel. And if anybody yeah. gets a chance to go there. Um, and the camera, the, the camera people rotated. We had good friends from the drop zone and they could usually commit for you or two. And then we met Luis. We, we found ourselves in a year without, uh, without a camera guy. We kind of make a wish list, made a wish list of all the unachievable best people we could think of as teammates. And uh, Luis was crazy enough to say yes. And it ended up working out. Nice. So that was super fun. And that's what really started to bring me to the States more. First, the team in general. Then I started to visit in Sebastian more because of Luis. Started to organize um, in um, the invasion. And one thing led to another. The team was done. I decided to move here for a year. And then just, I moved up to uh, Paraclete, to XP, did the membership there. So flew a bunch in the tunnel. And then started organizing slowly but surely. Uh, I was jumping a lot in Europe before, so where anger flying was super common. And it was just the time where anger flying was starting to be popular in the States. So that gave me mm-hmm. a great opportunity to, to start to organize and teach movement jumps. And that was kind of like, the beginning of my professional skydiver career, uh, if I want to call it that. Um, and next thing I know, a couple of years later, I've started traveling the world, organizing, coaching. Um, I saw a huge gap with um, what was happening with movement jumps, with the popularity rising, uh, and the education not really keeping up with the um, with the popularity and the abilities, the, the body flying abilities with all these people coming out of the tunnel. And that's when Luis and I sat down and created the Living Workshop. That's been very successful since. It's definitely one of my favorite things to do in skydiving today, even though it's a lot of ground stuff, a lot of theory. I really enjoy sitting down for two days and talking to people about skydiving. Um, and yeah, mm-hmm. I've been developing some programs. I've been a part of Project 19. That's been an incredible incredible journey with some of the most amazing characters, cool people uh, I've seen to date. So that's been an amazing journey. Did I miss anything out, Jeras? Well, just a little bit. Um, where do you currently live and what's your home drop zone? I live in Deland, Florida, and that's my home drop zone. Okay. And you are, one of my questions was, <clears throat> what's it like to be married to another industry icon? You have a husband and a daughter. I do have my husband and a daughter who rode her bike without training wheels for the first time today. Wow. So exciting. Nice. Uh, and flew in the tunnel last week and decided she wants to free fly. And all she wanted to do was go head up and head down. She didn't want to be on her belly. It was hilarious. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. I knew she yeah, was a good was, one. Yeah, I, I'll send you, I, I think Steph got some videos, but I'll send you some videos. It was, uh, it was quite a treat. Some of my, I think it was my best tunnel session ever. I had the most fun. I ever had in the time. Um, how is it to be married to another skydiver, Jairus? 
what uh how is it to be married to another skydiver jay ross everyone's heard about me already this is about you (laughs) (laughs) so you are married to shannon pilcher i'm married to shannon pilcher yeah and like similarly a lot of our younger viewers might not know exactly who shannon is but um but a very accomplished uh belly flyer canopy pilot um on owner of flight one one of the owners of flight one um a canopy teaching program uh that is incredibly in-depth and extensive and and used all over the world um and just a regular old great guy mm-hmm. absolutely did i sum that up correctly i think so yeah so, um, okay. so real quick, Sharon, go back to your very, your, your AFF. Why did you do the, your very first skydive? Why did you even go skydiving? I've always wanted to skydive. Like since I can remember, uh, you know, there's a lot of us, I think had the same thing, just having dreams, jumping off things. And once I've learned that that is normal, then I was excited to do it. Uh, I was actually, the first time I learned about skydiving as as a sport or as something that's accessible was uh, my teenage years. I went down to a place that had an open wind tunnel back home in Israel. And uh, I did that. I loved it. And there were some flyers about tandems and courses. And it was obvious for me that I want to jump on my own. I didn't want to do a tandem. So I had to wait till I was 18. Um First time I wanted to go, I was planned to go. They actually had a plane crash and the drop zone was closed for about a year. And a different friend of mine that did the course just before me got a letter when they reopened. They reopened under new management and obviously new airplane. Um, she was like, hi, oh, this is your chance. And I was just finishing my high school. So that was kind of my, my gift to myself after high school. Uh, yeah. Always wanted to do it. I was a horrible student. Horrible. What do you mean? What What made you a horrible student? Spinning all over the place, just not getting it. <laughs> Hated when people told me to relax. Trying to relax. Jumping out of an airplane for the first time in my life. You're telling me to relax. It's not going to help me relax. So, yeah. I have uh, I have great videos of me spinning around and my my instructor li- literally like slamming into me just to to stop the flat spin. You still have the videos, really? I I recently found them, yeah. Like on VHS or or something like I, that. Yeah, yeah, I converted a couple of them from VHS. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Maybe we They're need so a copy of those everybody. to put on put on the. I I have it on. I, Facebook or something. I have it. I'm not. I'm not ashamed of it at all. I, yeah. No, that's awesome. I, mean, I love to tell my students that if I learn to fly, anybody can. So. There you go. There you go. Cool. Um, so one of the things that you already mentioned that was on my list to ask about. You've had some serious sinus issues in the past few years. Some of that shut you down for a while, as far as jumping. And yeah. um, kind of curious how sort of how you persevered because a lot of people end up you know if you spend enough time in the sport a lot of people you know end up dropping out and for different reasons uh families or i don't know what you know i don't don't know what all of them are but seems like yours could have easily been a career ending sinus issue and yet you persevered yeah i mean i'm definitely not jumping as much as i would want to 
Um, I mean, I used to make a thousand jumps a year and uh, not anywhere in the vicinity. Um, so jumping less is basically what allowed me to, to continue jumping, to not like continue to push. Because if I was, I got myself into a jam because I was pushing where I shouldn't have. And if I would have continued to push, then it just would be the end of it. Um, I also think work-wise, because a lot of my work, um, or I have a lot of work that's also on the ground. So the leading workshops are mainly on the ground. It's not a lot of jumping. Uh, Project 19 at the time, when I started to have those issues, uh, allowed me in some cases to stay on the ground and still be a part of the project and allow me to help the girls and, and kind of um, facilitate their journey, even if I'm not jumping with them. Uh, and then also COVID happened. So it, it kind of, the timing worked. Um, COVID started pretty much when I was struggling with jumping, when I was starting to cancel jobs because I couldn't jump. And then people approached us to start doing the workshops online. And then Project 19 had uh, online seminars. So there was a whole year of doing things online. Some of it carried on. Uh, like we're still offering all the workshops online, the leading workshops online for people who are far away. Um, then another few years of Project 19, again, allowed me to be on the ground. Super, super, super stoked and thankful that I got to be a part of the, the record because until the very last moment, I wasn't sure that my sinus would allow me to do the jumps. Um, I, I even didn't jump the first day or two just to give it some more time because I was coming off uh, an episode. So yeah, just uh, I, I jump when I can. Like tomorrow, I really want to jump. The weather is beautiful. My teammates are in town. The Joyriders. I didn't talk about the Joyriders. How did I not talk about the Joyriders? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, We'll, we'll, we'll dedicate a whole section to the joy riders because okay. speaking of special people, yeah. Well, t tell us real quick about Project 19, though. So Project 19 is um, their recent women's world record that we dedicated to celebrating the suffrage movement and in general, women's rights uh, with the idea that we want to inspire and encourage women around the world and especially little girls to... Um, to live a bold, brave life. And it doesn't mean necessarily skydiving, but just send the message that whatever you want to do, if you persevere, you can, can do anything. Um, we started, the idea was to celebrate in the centennial of the 19th Amendment. Unfortunately, that's when COVID happened. It was obvious that we can't get that whole uh, 120 girls from around the world uh, to come and sit in small airplanes, small tin boxes together. So we had to postpone. Um, it was, I mean, it was an incredible journey. It, uh, that project has taught me so much. Uh, seeing the journey everybody went through to be ready for the record, to see the, and the fact that COVID happened in the middle actually let some of the girls that had less experience, we lost some girls because of, the, because of COVID. Some didn't have the money, some got pregnant, some just couldn't get back to it uh, right after. But then some of the younger girls had extra time to train. So it was also super special because we had a lot of younger generation, uh, first record kind of experience. Um, another thing special about it was the way it was structured where we had regional captains. So it gave what girls around the world 
women around the world a chance to um, to coach themselves, you know, and share their skills, and it pushed them a little bit out of their comfort zone. And I believe the best way to to learn is to teach. Mm. So um, we could definitely see like they started to get more independence. They started to see the bigger picture. So when we got to the day of the record, we had a big group of jumpers that that, that knew what we were talking about. You know, it wasn't just about doing their job, but they understood the configuration, understood the language we were speaking. Um, and then the journey that week was incredible. Uh, Jeras was there. He saw it. Uh, the the um, level of teamwork, the camaraderie, the the support the girls showed towards each other. Uh, it was very, very different than any record I've been on um, until then. Uh, we went through a huge roller coaster, as records do. It's, I mean, that it flew amazingly. I haven't seen a record fly that stable throughout uh, the whole thing as well. But of course, we had to do a lot of changes, rotate people in and out. Um, we had a weather day. Then the next day, we decided to go with an 80 way instead of a 100 way, just to see if we can if we can just build a solid base of our 80 way. We did that on the first jump. Next jump, uh, we added seven more jumpers, broke that record too. So that was a huge day of uh, celebrations. And we had to keep that going, starting to build up and build up. The next few jumps, we were missing one or two girls on each jump. Uh, so the next day, which was our last day, we decided to go for it and build 100 ways. And it was flying super nice. We jump after jump. We were only missing a couple of girls on each jump. And we're getting down to the last jump. Uh, we uh, we decided we're going to have to to cut some girls to make sure that we can we can build it. So we went down to ninety seven, and obviously it was a uh, it was really hard because everybody that was there could do it. Every single lady that was on that record could fly it. It was just a matter of who can stick it on every single jump and handle the pressure on that last jump. So um, that was a really hard decision. We ended up with 97. We went up to the sky, had a beautiful skydive. It was just perfect. Came down, everybody celebrating. Pretty sure we got the record. Just a matter of showing it to the judges. And what we saw in the video when we came down that as one, the, as the last girl was just taking the dock, another girl from the other side of the formation was releasing the dock. So we literally had a photo with one girl on this side doing this, and then the next frame, her hand was on, but we had the other girl doing that on the other side. So we were missing that one frame of both of them on. And that was, I mean, obviously at the moment, it seemed like the most disappointing thing. We, it was the last jump. We didn't get it. Uh, on top of everything, one of the girls blew her eardrum. One of our, our more experienced girl that was inside the, the center of the formation blew her eardrum. We're like, oh, what do we do? Is it, do we, it was the last down the jet, last jump of the day. Everybody's, Everybody thought we got the record. Everybody was celebrating. But we knew we had time for one more if we really, really push it. And we were kind of debating. 
decided to go for it. One of us runs outside to let everybody know they need to pack up. We didn't get it. We need to go again. One of us had to run and get the plane, the pilots ready and the planes ready. Then other, a few of us needed to sit down and redo the formation. We had to now replace the girl that was that blew her eardrum, move things around. And for every person we moved around, we had to move more people around. So we ended up with a completely different formation. Uh, I think we moved like 10 or 15 women around. And at some point, uh, Amy Chimileki stopped us all and she was like, just you guys, are, are, is this crazy? Are we, I mean, what are we doing here? Because if it's a new formation, lots of girls are flying slots they haven't flown, uh, are coming out of planes they haven't come out, different side pictures, end of the day, everybody's already went through that peak of energy. Um, She's like, is that is this crazy? And we're standing there in a circle. I'm never going to forget that. We're standing there in a circle, all the organizers kind of looking at each other. And then Sarah Cordes goes, what do we have to lose? We do another jump. We're more tired. And you got to understand, this is a week of jumps, morning till evening, super, super strenuous weeks. Girl had... Speaking of sinus infections, we had girls bleeding out of their nose. Don't even give it a second thought. You know, I remember looking at one girl, she was bleeding so much. I was like, listen, you have to sit down. You can't keep just like, no, no, no. Little bit of blood's not going not gonna to stop me. So the, the atmosphere, the strength these ladies showed was already so impressive up until that point. And when Sarah said that, like, oh, we're going to be more tired, we, we realized, I mean, you can't argue with that, right? So we're going to go for it. Uh, the, the drop zone owner ran to us to tell us, ladies, if you want to make this happen, if you want to get altitude, you have 15 minutes to be on the plane to take off. So now we have to rush everybody, get everybody packed up, walk a jump that a lot of these girls haven't walked before. We ended up doing, I think, an 88-way, JLS, if I remember correctly. I don't remember that detail. Um, so we get everybody together, rush, walk the jump really, really quickly, get in the planes, as we take off, the pilot signals us to look the, out the window. Of course, it's the sunset, right? Arizona sunset. It's beautiful. The light's starting to change. You can see the mountains. And we're looking out the window and all the support system, everybody that was on the B team, all the boyfriends, the husbands, the kids that were there on the drop zone were standing in line at the takeoff, uh, at the runway, and just waving at us. And it was just so powerful and so moving. And we fly over, looking at the mountains, looking at the sunset. And um, I remember scanning the airplane, kind of looking at the girls. You can see they're tired. You can see they're worn out. But you can also see them searching for that extra bit of energy. And uh, I actually had a moment where my eyes met uh, the eyes of one of the girls. And... The tiredness in her eyes, she was just done. She was exhausted. And I, I remember looking her in the eye. And as soon as she saw, as soon as she caught my eye, she just went. <laughs> and it was, hey, she's got it. She's ready. And it was, just, it was just impressive, man, to see how much everybody got out of themselves. Like We, we literally squeezed every little bit that each of these ladies had inside of her. And when there was absolutely nothing left, we went for one more skydive. And that skydive wasn't great. 
to be honest. Uh, definitely not our best jump. So when we came down, I remember under canopy thinking like, is this, is this what we had to lose, you know, and finishing on, on this note, we had such perfect, beautiful skydives this whole week. Are we, did we miss out by finishing like this? And man, like, I don't think this event would have been this meaningful if we wouldn't have gone on that skydive. Uh, we came down, the girls were as happy and excited as if we would have made that record. The, the level of stoke and how proud everybody was at each other was just that experience of seeing your, your colleagues, your teammates, not just push it to the last level, but literally just when they're absolutely done, they're still going for it because they're part of the team and we have a mission as a team. That was just a whole other level of appreciation and of understanding of our abilities and uh, what we're capable of. And that was the point, right? right? It, was, it was all about what you're capable of when you decide to do something. So, yeah, so it was a super special experience. And not only because we broke two records, two world records that week, but it was because of the, the record we didn't break that I feel that we had a really, really meaningful experience there. That was more than you asked for. That's not a short version of our project. <laughs> There's no scripts. No, that's very cool. So just to clarify, because some people listening, and I don't know if you said, what, what, how were you guys flying? This is not, this is not, go ahead. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, head down. So it's <laughs> uh, the, the plan was to do a hundred way head down formation, female head down formation yeah. to celebrate the hundred years for the 19th Amendment, the women's right to vote in the United States. Yeah. We ended up uh, with a little bit less than that, but with <clears> a lot of insight and a lot of, a lot of pride. So you, you guys did set a record though. I mean, or two, actually two. a couple of times. Yeah. Two. Okay. And is that, that's not just for Arizona though, is it? That wasn't an Arizona state record. No, no that's a world record. Right. Well, okay. Uh, I mean, it was an Arizona is, state record, but it was a world record. It's a world mm -hmm. record. Okay. Yeah, that's so. Uh, that's really neat. That's super fun. That's and I'll, super. Uh, I'll put um, I'll put the video. And, uh, so I can put some uh, in the chat. I can put some links a link to a video that sure. relevant or for the recording yeah. or. It won't show up in the recording, but I, if you'll put it in the chat, and then I can <clears throat> I can put it in the the description on the YouTube video. Um, yeah, I'll send it to you. And in it. Facebook stuff like that. I mean, but because I'm sure I think people will want to see that. That's fun. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I want to see it. I want to see it. Yeah. I've seen, I mean, I've seen a lot of the videos that you posted. I mean, of course, because I just watch, I like to see what all you post and stuff like that. So I, I see some of that stuff, but people will, I think people will really enjoy that. Yeah. So that great, passionate story was, uh, we're going to segue just a little bit. Um, you were scheduled to give a TEDx talk about Project 19. And as a person born in Israel, in the events of the last few months, that TEDx talk changed a little bit. But uh... so I was uh, notified on October 11th that my TED talk about Project 19 was accepted um, for the TED talk TEDx um, in Grand Junction, Colorado. And October 7th was the attack on Israel. For those of you who don't know, um, it's the, it was the most 
brutal, horrific attack Israel has ever experienced by a landslide. Very, very difficult for anyone that's um, related to Israel in any way. And for me, definitely, Israel is, uh, I mean, I've, I never left, you know. I'm, and I'm, you, have, you still have quite a bit of family. And I mean, your parents, have, you, you have siblings, other, cousins. Other than my nucleus family, other than my husband and my daughter, my family is yeah. Israel. Lots of my friends are back there. We visit there a lot. Mm. We're really excited to host um, the World Championships that were supposed to to be in Israel uh, this fall. So, yeah, I mean, for me, I, I never really left Israel. I'm, I'm kind of on the line. So there was, uh, at that point, it was four days after the attack. I, there, was, there was just no way I could, um, I could speak about skydiving at that point. And then the, the talk was supposed to be about um, uh, the, the strength that we get once we unite under a cause that's greater than ourselves, which is definitely what Project 19 taught us. Um, part of the success of the record, I believe, was because it was tied to the suffrage movement, because we constantly had in our mind what they did for us. And um, we literally wouldn't be sitting on those airplanes if it wasn't for the women who came before us that fought for women's rights. And we didn't say fought, we mean fought, you know, protested and got beaten down and incarcerated and um, went on hunger strikes and um, were first fed. And um, so, yeah, so that, that celebrating them is why I believe why we had that strength, why we could find that extra strength that we did on the record. And I really wanted to talk about that. Uh, I hope I will get a chance to in the future. Uh, but I couldn't on October 11. So I ended up uh, writing a new talk that was still under that theme of um, what we can achieve when we decide to unite under a cause that's greater than ourselves. And the cause that I was focusing on was shedding light in a very dark time. And I was uh, trying to give a glimpse of the story of how people got together to try and pull themselves out of the deep, deep hole that we're all in. Um, so yeah, so that's what I ended up going on stage with. So I've, I've heard Sharon's um, speech a couple of times. I've listened uh, to the video a few times and, and uh, I mean, we could do five episodes on just that issue. So probably here is not the, the best time to go too deep into that, but hopefully that we can get a link to the video posted in the chat so people can this is a really uplifting, hopeful video in, in a time of real difficulty. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, yeah, uplifting might be a lot, but might be a bit. How much uplifting can you do at was, that moment? <laughs> it, was, it was my attempt to, to focus on what I can to, yeah. and that's, I mean, skydiving too, right? We go through ups and downs and we all have difficult times, right? Maybe not that kind of difficult, but so yeah, getting on, getting together and focusing on whatever tiny little speck of light we can is, this is the only yeah. thing we can do. So for the people who are interested, hopefully that's every single person who hears this podcast, hopefully you'll be able to click on, click on that link and, and it's, it's not super long, maybe 10 minutes um, of yeah, your life to, like yeah, to 
listen to somebody talk about hope in a dark time. So if it's okay, um, we'll segue back to skydiving a little bit. And um, I, I want to, I mean, you touched on angle flying and being a part of it in the European skydiving community that I think um, kind kind of was that revolution. It, it wasn't, I don't know if it's fair to say it started there, but it definitely took off over there before it hit the U.S. as big as it is now. Um, and just as a person who who's seen that other culture, and then also you've been heavily invested in in not only um, teaching people the, the safe way to do it, but teaching other people how to teach people the safe way to do it, which is a whole nother level. Um, so I would love to hear, you know, your impression of sort of the history of angle, pl- angle flying, the improvements that you guys have been able to implement, um, specifically related to safety advances, if you could. Um, and then maybe cap it off with things that you're not sure people are thinking about enough in angle flying, but you wish they would think about more. Right. Hey, sorry, you got, I'm sorry. I've got a, <clears throat> as you know, I've recorded at home. I've got a little family issue. I have to take y'all, y'all go ahead. I will be right back after you're I take gonna have care to come back and listen to this. Cause this is going to be good. <laughs> I'll be right back. Sorry. Go okay. ahead. Okay. Let me, let me see if I uh, remember everything. So history. Yeah. Um, I mean, wow. The, there's so much to the history. Um, I mean, there's Atwanadi, of course, right? Uh, tracing, zooming, tracing, uh, zooming. Uh, yeah, yeah. What else? Uh, I mean, my my biggest inspirations when I started uh, to do movement jumps, and I really in movement jump, I include anything that goes away from the little tunnel we're dropped in, the column of air we're dropped in, because uh, I think that once we get out of that column of air, it almost doesn't matter very much matters what we do, but it's all kind of the same. It's a version, different versions of the same thing. So I like to put it under the same umbrella. Um, but for me, my biggest inspirations were probably uh, what Babylon did at the time, Trace 101, 102. Those videos were like, blow my mind. If uh, guys, if you haven't seen those videos and you're into mm-hmm. free flying or any kind of movie jumps, go watch those videos. It's amazing. Um, of course, um, uh, Ippo and his style of flying um, also was something that just we look at it and it's like that's Sorry, what I want to do. Sometimes this happens. Ippo Fabi is uh, an Italian skydiver. He is the artistic side of tone fly, as far as I know. I um, he was very big on designing stuff uh, for tone fly, both suits uh, and helmets. Um, do they make anything else? Uh, but that is, as I understand it, his company. Um, and, uh, uh, sort of a, a very old school angle flyer from maybe he's still jumping, I think, but from the previous generation. He's still jumping. Yeah. He's still jumping. If you ever get a chance, maybe in Vectorfest, he, every now and again, he makes a guest appearance in Vectorfest. Yeah. If you ever get a chance to fly with him, it's one yeah. of the best experiences skydiving can give you and i think a lot of it's definitely a lot of the influence or inspiration for a lot of the flying you see today um fabian rydell as well 
yeah, so as far as the development, I mean, in the beginning, I think there was a big separation between tracking or what we used to see kind of that forward moving belly flying position uh, that was mostly in the boogie and the end of the day, people would get together and kind of flop off the airplane and, and move in a certain direction. And then after that, uh, a team called Atmonaudi or a team, it's based on the name of the team now, but they developed the Atmonaudi, the, basically the first versions of angler flying, which was... Uh, so this is like Marco TSE? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's Marco like is that. also Italian, is, is he not? Um, yeah, also Italian. He's been he's been doing this for decades. Mm-hmm. And that's where kind of we saw that more of a braked position where we're uh, hanging on our um, on our legs over there, but managing. That's the first time I think that I think that people broke that flat position and got into a, an angle flight. So they started to flying on some sort of angle. Um, and then obviously that started to develop and people started to stretch out in those lines and fly different angles, steeper, flatter, all the in-betweens, um, dive into turns. That's where the, um, the more angle flying that we know today developed and, um, and the dynamic flying that we see today. And obviously once tunnels became a thing and we started to incorporate some of those lines, even to the simpler level, just tracking into carving into whatever and that's that took off a whole different way. Then in the States, I want to say um, the UPT flight camp was maybe the first kind of big thing that happened in the States regarding uh, movement jumps. Uh, at the time was Fred and Vince came to coach. Uh, do you want to so say something Fred about Fugin Fred and Vince? And Vince Raffet, for those people who don't know, two of the most probably two of the most famous skydivers that have ever been. Um, sadly, Vince is no longer with us, but uh, did some just unbelievable things in the sport. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's too, much, too much to list. Huh? I'm waiting for you to be like, but well, there. I, I, I wouldn't even know where to start if I was going to talk. I mean, jumping off the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, they're the wingsuiters that flew back into the porter. They, uh, set, uh, they were the guys that were doing two-way base jumps when nobody nobody else was doing two-way they were turning points free flying flying. they were launching exits together they were i mean they were opening lines that everybody uses now they were tremendous free flyers multiple time world champions of competitive free flying i I mean that's a good start but it's not even close yeah yeah that's that's a a little bit of a tip of the iceberg but yeah yeah um I need you in my pocket, J-Ras, just every time I need somebody to to translate. <laughs> a little Pez dispenser, like, hey, what about that? <laughs> um, so, yeah, so basically UPT brought some of the most experienced organizers from Europe back in the day. It was 2011 or 2012, if I'm not mistaken, and did the first proper um, angle camp in the U.S., as far as I know. Uh, that ended up turning into the Sebastian Engel Camp, which turned into the Fly for Life Engel Camps that we know today. Um, and I think that's that was what caused things to start kind of exploding or, or gaining more popularity. And I think also the the whole concept of camps, doing camps at the time, wasn't as popular. It was developing with those camps, um, and that was a huge 
think one of the biggest contributors to to the advance we're seeing all around because the fact that we can share a day a day with a coach when we already have the skills to do a certain thing and we want to learn how to do it in a group or do it better in a group then the camps are just such an amazing tool to to learn and progress so i would say that was one of the huge contributors and obviously tunnels but so while you were describing sort of the history it 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 made me think about sort of the evolution of of skydiving as i believe a way to survive a plane crash for pilots that some Lou Sanborn, or I don't know who, decided to make into something fun that you did. Um, although I don't know how they considered it fun with the canopies they had to come down with. Um, and just the natural evolution of human uh, human beings pushing the limits that in, in the early days it was just belly flying. And then the first time somebody tried to free fly, there was an uproar about you know going vertically instead of flat and and it it i think it, under that lens it makes total sense that humans started just ex- exploring the three-dimensional nature of what we're doing um and but i wanted to ask since you're also a very competent free flyer what 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 about angle flying appealed to you in the very beginning more than just falling straight down the tube i mean by the way, since you mentioned some history, if anybody wants to learn more a little bit about the history of the evolution of freefall and skydiving, Pete has an excellent uh, mm-hmm. section of his course dedicated to that. So it's actually a really cool. Uh, uh, now, hold on. Correct me if I'm wrong. Since we were talking about Project 19, one of the very first skydivers in the like ever in the world was a woman. Yes, yeah. that is true. The lady who and. So quick side note, because this I'm story, gonna, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher her name. So I'm not going to, but yes, that's really yeah. true. And, and actually, and there was, she had another girl, a friend of hers that they would jump together. They would jump out of hot air balloons together. And she convinced this girl to, they, this is the story that I read. And if you know, this is true or not, or the details that you can correct me, they went together. Uh, it was kind of like a, it, from what I read, it sounded like a, almost like a Mr. Bill. Two people under one canopy. This was one one of the stunts that they did because they did a lot of like expedition. I mean, uh, what do you call it? Uh, expo stuff. But they had a our no. They went out together. One of them had a problem with their canopy, so the other girl they held on to each other, and they ended up under one canopy. Both girls under one canopy hit the ground, had a really really hard landing, and the main girl injured her back so bad that she couldn't walk. She was paralyzed, and they had her. And she was bedridden, I want to say for a couple of weeks. And there was a doctor that came in and he had some, had been exposed to some kind of like shock, electroshock therapy. And so he wanted to try it on this girl to see if he could help her with some physical therapy. And she was paralyzed. She couldn't walk at all. So they hooked her up and he accidentally turned up the electricity too much. So when they shocked her, it shocked her so hard that it threw her body out of the bed onto the ground and it it was so powerful that it actually fixed she got up and walked away it fixed her back <laughs> have, have you ever heard that story no, no i've never I heard not. it i'll have to ask mm-hmm. I, I looked it up on multiple websites to see if i could confirm it or not and i mean as far as i could tell it was anyway sorry so i just th- mm. think that's cool that we were talking about project 19 and one of the very first 
canopy parachutist skydivers was a woman. Yeah, I think Tiny. Tiny was her name. Was that her name? I can't remember. I think so, but I I just know about her. I don't know about a teammate or a, so. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, okay, I, I got us off track, but go ahead. There is no track. So we were getting ready to hear uh, why Sharon gravitated towards angling instead of um, sort of falling straight down. Uh, first of all, it's not instead. Uh, I think that everything is movement jumps, right? It's all like your, your approach to formation, your angle flying, you break off from a formation, your angle flying. So it's, it, to me, it's, it's the basis of all other flying. Um, I also think that progression wise, when you, I mean, you fly on your belly and then you learn to go forward on your belly and you do that faster, then you can explore the different angles with it. And then you do the same thing on the back. And then you can start going through vertical to the other side and then going straight down and just an angle in between that huge variety of that three-dimensional space that you have. So it's not that I prefer angle flying over other things. I just think it's all angle flying. Um, I think there's also a feeling, I mean, I know... I've done a little bit of VFS that's it's a bit more hardcore, nothing in the, the kind of stuff that you, you do, JRAS. And that, that feels really good, that like aggressive movement and being so close and dodging each other and being so accurate, that feels really good. Uh, but as far as like, if it's just a matter of like sitting head down, to do, 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 or, or the feeling of moving through the sky, I really love the feel the sensation of moving through the sky and the visuals of moving through the sky. So, and, and the versatility that it gives you, like, I, I like the transitions. It's not just a flop, but it's like you, you, you dip in and you kind of go into a turn. And it's, it's what I envisioned when I thought about skydiving. I thought about flying, right? Because I didn't, I never dreamed about skydiving. I dreamed about flying. And it's, it's the closest thing to flying you can do. So in consideration of something that you said in the middle there, as you approach a formation, you, you're angle flying. And as you leave a formation, you're angle flying. Most people, I don't know who's an exception to this rule. I guess people who just do hop and pops. But most people who get into this sport, they would like to go up in the sky and at some point hold hands with their friends. And then they're going to need to leave those friends. And so... I, would you agree that literally every person who skydives, with the exception of perhaps I'm just going to be a canopy pilot and hop out and pull my parachute, every single person should be learning how to get to and get away from those groups more efficiently, yeah, more I mean, safely? You've, you've, you've touched the trigger point there. I'm like breathing my way through this to, to be, um, to use the right words. Hmm. I, I mean, when I, when I look at, flyers information and big wave formation in, in world records. Uh, and I see them doing things like breaking off a formation and going straight on their back or backtracking, backtracking, and then going on their bellies and doing that. And just basically like while people are still flying towards them, not because they want to pull, but because that's, that's their, it, 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 it blows me away. It blows me away. I don't understand how, 
I mean, we've talked about it before, you and I, Jairus. I think uh, angle flying should be a prerequisite for being on big wave formations, whether sequentials or records. I think that's part of the skills that need to be judged. I think you should, the same way that you need to go through a camp and be checked off to be invited for a record, I feel like you need to be checked off on certain angle uh, movement skills to be um, checked off for a record. We did do it in Project 19, by the way, a little bit. We experimented with that a little bit. Uh, on our warm-up day is we did a couple of, of movement jumps to make sure everybody can go from their head to their back nice and gradually without just flopping and losing their speed, that they can do the transition properly, uh, that they can stay in control and, and see each other while they're flying away. So it's not a, ah, but they're used to flying with people next to them as they're flying in an angle. So yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. Can you make that noise again? <laughs> I have pictures. I have pictures and videos, snippets that I've taken from different videos I've seen uh, from records. From so, like... Okay, just to stay on the non-existent track, um, what do you think are some of the improvements that that you've been able to be a part of, or or sort of um, help the the discipline of of movement jumps evolve? Maybe maybe some some safety stuff, or I mean, I assume most of that safety, but you know, if there's things that stand out in your mind as far as when I approached this discipline, people did it this way. And I'm, I am thinking of a very specific example because you corrected me so long ago. Are you uh, talking in, about going flat? Specifically? No, 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 no. But uh, if you get there, you get there. And if you don't, I'll bring it up. But, um, okay. you know, just think just things that they, they were the way. And then through experimentation or I mean, sometimes our sport evolves through accidents and that highlights problems that we, we have that we weren't aware that we had. But, you know, things that you've you've been a part of that have helped that, that discipline yeah. evolve. I mean, I've got heaps of ideas um, jumping into my head, so I'll try to cover a bunch of them. Um, first of all, I would say that back in the day, it used to be really common for groups, oh, I've got another one, for groups to just end of the day, everybody, everybody's on the drop zone. We're going on a tracking dive, end of the day, full plane load, everybody gets chucked out and just kind of follows the leader, right? Which had a few issues. One is that it's not necessarily, people didn't have the skills to be flying in close proximity to each other in, in big groups. They didn't have the skills to fly, to move in close proximity in small groups. But for some reason, because we didn't have that goal that visual, I, I took a dock and therefore I know I'm capable of being on this jump. Uh, it was it was considered okay. I mean, you wouldn't, if you chunked out a 20-way and no one of the 20-way gets to the base, you know that the problem is in the design of the jump and not specifically with any particular flyer, right? But somehow there used to be 20 ways all the time where people wouldn't get to the leader. They would just be scattered all around. Um, and today you don't see that as much anymore, thankfully. Um, and I mean, the amount of accidents I've seen from those kind of jumps. Uh, and today I think people understand, they understand what it means to be on level, they understand what it means to be in your quadrant or swervy or in close proximity or further away proximity. And again, doesn't mean, I mean, you can, you can be on a six way belly jump and get close to the base, but not chat, touch or work on getting your level even though you don't have the skills to get there but it's in control so in that sense it's okay to be on a six-way angle jump 
and maybe you're not quite in your slot and you're not super close, but you know what you need to do. You're working on level, you're in control, you're in the size of a group that, that, that accommodates that. Um, so I think that's changed a lot. I think people understand today that to be, to do your job in a movement jump, you need to be in a docking distance, even if you're not docking. Now it's okay if you didn't make it on a jump because we're all learning, but at least that understanding that that's the goal and we're not going to have a jump of 20 people that are not capable of it. I think that was a big um, change. Another change regarding that was that people used to lead on the back. And they would just go in a straight line on the back, meaning they're not really seeing where they're going. So if they're going in a direction, if the, if the terrain is such and the winds are such that you can just go in a straight line and go and go and go and still have a, place, a safe place to land, that's cool, but that's not always the case. So landing out used to be a more common thing for movement jumps. Um, yes, for the most part, people weren't flying the speeds maybe we fly today. Um, because we have learned to be more efficient, but, uh, so we cover more distances today, but even back in the day, there was a lot of people landing out. Um, I also used to see people like there would be somebody on the back leading, we call it the rabbit, right? Everybody was chasing the rabbit. And then there'll be somebody on the belly giving him direction in case he needs to turn, which is like, so who's leading? Uh, so that's something that's changed that the leader is on the belly. The leader needs to see the ground. And with the more experienced flyer, the more experienced leaders, we might see them transition to the back or maybe come out on the back and lead some on the back and transition to the belly. But now it's the understanding that leaning on the back requires way more experience or doing those transitions requires way more experience. And we want to see where we're going so we can navigate. Uh, that's a big change as well. I mean, the camps in general have changed a lot as far as the uh, understanding and the I mean, we used to do groups of eight, used to be normal in camps. And today, even in the bigger camps, in the more experienced camps, we do groups of six because A, so much more fun, less people, you can get pushed more, do more fun things. Uh, and B, um, just safety, right? Like less people, less of chance of things going wrong. Uh, another thing, I've, I've lost a few, but another thing that I think is huge is when... I mentioned before that when angle flying started to develop, this is kind of the position that people were thinking of uh, because we wanted to get into that angle and we're using this surface here to lean on. Uh, so we're actually flying quite steep, but with a lot of break. And today, we're in, what happens there is that, A, once you start going fast, you don't have the balance, right? So it's harder to, to learn and progress and you're just less stable. Right? You have a lot of speed because you have that vertical speed, um, but you don't have the skill to necessarily stay stable. Also, people are not used to using their shins. Now I'm getting quite technical, but people are not used. It's not a part of our body that we're used to using. Um, so if you don't have good control of your shins when you're in a position like this, it's really easy for the shins to go back and you, for you to flay on your back. I have heaps of videos of people doing that and just flying back into the formation like as a wrecking ball. Um, so today we, we really put an emphasis of learning to fly flat, um, on the flatter angles and learning all the skills on the flatter angles and only then taking it steeper. And I mean, some of my best jumps were flat and fast. And I feel that every time I want to learn something new or I want to improve my 
body position or anything in my flat, anything technical, I'm going to go to the flatter angles to fix it because I don't have that vertical speed on top of the, um, of the horizontal speed. Um, I mean, yeah, some of the best jumps were flat as fast as you can go. And then you really get a chance to try all the little things. Like what happens if I, you know, close my hands a little bit? What happens if I just drop my shoulders a little bit or extend my head a little bit? If my hand is like this or if it's like that or if it's like that, is that going to make a difference? And when you're flying with a good group in a flat angle and, and you go, you're going fast and you're already maxed out, so this, these are the things that are going to give you that extra edge, it's amazing. Uh, so, yeah, starting flatter and, um, and learning on flat angles anytime you want to add something to your skill set is something that's changed as well. And we can see it now with head-up flying as well is that uh, more and more people are starting to teach head-up flying from a flat position, from almost like a belly or back position, or very quickly like teach people how to get into those flatter positions. Because again, for breakoff, we want, to, we want people to fly flat. There's a lot of other little things as far as breakoffs, going flatter on the breakoffs, but uh, those are the things that came up. They were like the bigger. What were you thinking of, Jiras? Uh... I don't know how many movement jumps I've got, but more than most people have jumps and a lot of them are leading. And uh, at a, I think in, a, no, I know for sure it was an invasion about 10 years ago where I gave a seminar about a, like a weather day seminar or cloud hold, whatever um, seminar about movement jumps. And the, I would guess to the right word is traditional thought was that if somebody was very far behind on the jump, that they would break off a little bit early, turn 180, and go back against the jump so that they were further away from it. And you you very politely, I mean, I don't, 10 years ago, I'm not sure, uh, you know, where, I mean, I knew who you were and some of the stuff that you'd done in the sport, but um, but yeah, I, I felt like it was a very um, polite way that you approached me to say that I was totally wrong. Um, and, uh, it might have been I, the only I, time I was polite to you, Jeros. It's <laughs> because I didn't know I, you yet. You know, I listened, and and I, I mean, I I knew a little bit about your experience as far as brain pop and and um, joy riders and and you you're in the sport. So it wasn't like somebody that's totally a newbie coming up and talk to me. I should be as receptive as ever. But it was just great to be. You know, sometimes even in in a peer more of a peer situation it can be really challenging to to approach that person and tell them that they're wrong um but i i appreciate it and that, that is not the not the uh discipline that we use now or the methodology that we use now which is because it was wrong uh and so i appreciate yeah, it yeah I mean, we learn right i mean yeah. i mean you're bringing up like three more things that i'm thinking of yeah. back in the day we used to some people call it natural separation, right? Like angle jumps are safe because you have a natural separation from the group. So if you lose people throughout the jump, but it's fine. They, they're, they're, <laughs> and um, I mean, to me, it's like, so now I have people scattered all around the sky and I can't see them at all. Yeah. And I don't know where they're going on breakoff. Um, yeah. so, and that's part of the reason that people allow themselves to take bigger groups. 
I remember people when they had a big group joining on a boogie and it was just 10, 15 people and I don't know their level and I don't know what to do. I just take them tracking because I'll have natural separation. I was like, well, maybe you as the leader can get away. But then what happens to all those other 10, 15 people you've left behind? Yeah. Uh, so that's something that's changed. We definitely, like we start with the group, we finish with the group. The whole concept of like keeping the group together throughout, accommodating to the lowest skill level person on the group. So if you as a leader uh, are allowing somebody to join the jump that you're leading, and that's your prerogative, right? Like you, you choose the group, you decide. It's, your, it's not your prerogative, it's your responsibility to adapt the skill level to the number of people of the, on, the, on the group uh, and to the plan, to what you decide to do, uh, whether it's the speed, the angle, or any kind of transition you might add. Um, so if, you, if somebody's on your jump, you need to make sure that you're flying in a speed and in an angle and you're doing things that that person with the less experienced, the least experienced person can handle. And that's the leader's responsibility. And if you don't think that person can do these things, then that's not the right jump for them to be on. And that's a whole other can of worms of we want to accommodate people in skydiving. We want to be welcoming, but we also want to be safe. So navigating all that can can send us into a whole other discussion, but that's uh, but that's one thing. Um, and then, right. as far as the individual, yeah. Well, no, no, no. go go finish. I well, just it's have not a the individual. If you if you start with the group, you finish with the group, and even if you're getting left behind, you keep your eye on the group the whole time, and you at least keep the heading and try to keep the speed. Um, maybe you don't want to get right there at the very last minute. More, more about that in the leading workshop or in the Crave course, but uh, that's tech, techniques. But I've seen people do a 180, walk away, from, fly away from the jump. I've seen people transition into sit flying all of a sudden because they were far away. Those are huge no-nos and uh, definitely not what we do today. And the other aspect of it is, is leading. That leading is a skill uh, that needs to be learned. And most, not all, but most things that can go, that go wrong in these kind of skydives have to do with the experience of the leader. Uh, so at least we, Luis and I, and, and our peers, many of our peers believe that uh, educating the people who want to lead or educating the flyers, even if you're following, understanding who you're following, but getting the basic understanding of what it means to navigate and fly, body fly, these kind of jumps um, is, is crucial for us to be in safe, which is where the leading workshop comes in. So you've talked about the leading workshop a couple of times, and that's that's kind of segueing into what I wanted to ask. You know, if you if you look at Curtin Genie's canopy course, there's blue, silver, pink, I don't know what, and it, I mean, it basically those two can take you from you just got your A license and you need to learn canopy to you'd like to stand on the podium, mm. and and it covers all of it. So it could you could you just briefly touch on when you guys run camps, sort of how you guys categorize the groups from an entry level to a, a leadership workshop and then i have a follow-up question of course yeah um right now it's a good question and we, we are developing some more workshops regarding movement jumps and other workshops that um for areas in the sport that we feel are, are missing information is missing uh when it comes to the to the leading workshop right now we only offer one type of workshop um, we're going to have a continuation that's building on that. And it, it covers 
we used to only offer it to people that have a lot of experience, to people that are already leading, to people that are already organizing. And slowly we've started to open it to a more entry level kind of thing with the understanding that we now know how to navigate the group. And we don't only address the information that needs to be delivered, but we also address a lot of um, self-awareness and understanding where I am, like my own personal progression. So parallel to teaching how to, how to lead, we teach when not to lead and we teach who not to, who not to follow. Um, and what do I need? What boxes do I need to check to feel like I'm ready for the next thing? And what is the next thing? So we do the leading workshops not to stamp anybody to say, okay, now you're ready to lead, uh, but to give them the tools to, to create a roadmap for themselves, know their next steps and know what it is they need to work on to achieve the next steps. But you have, I mean, you've got a number of camps that are not leadership that, that bring I mean, people into the discipline and progress them through the discipline, right? And I, I don't know if you guys have structured it out like gray, silver, white, purple, whatever. But, um, but if there, I, I, I know people who have gone there who are very good angle flyers. And when I say there, I mean fly for life in Deland. Um, very, very good angle flyers. And then I know people who have gone down there with a few hundred jumps to because they want to start learning the right way. Yeah. So specifically the fly for life camps, the way, and again, I'm not the person to speak about it, right? You want to speak to one of the Fly for Life guys, but I was definitely uh, in the early stages of the development of it. So I can speak to that. Um, the way their camps work is there's, um, it's, it's about the number of people that are in the group. So the Evolution Red Camps, uh, I think only have three people in the group. Then you have, um, the next guy might be getting it wrong, but then you have four people in the group, then you have six people in the group. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to do the evolution camp if, if you have a lot of experience. Because again, flying with only three people allows you to push your abilities and to do the kind of jumps that you can't do with a six-way uh, right. or a bigger group. So it's not necessarily about... Um, who goes to which camp. I think the secret is in understanding how to um, help people give us a valid self-assessment as well as little tricks and, and things we've learned throughout time to allow us to get a little bit more of when we see the names in front of us, we know a lot of them. Uh, and now I'm talking about the Fly for Life camps, but also other camps, but I haven't, I haven't done a Fly for Life camp in a while, but uh, mm. the Joyrider camps and other camps that we do around the world, everybody's kind of picked up on different versions of this system. And what we've as organizers have learned to do better is understand what different levels are and put people together within a group that fits them. And it can be tricky because you might be really good free flyer, but not a great angle flying, right? So we, we try to match people in the group where everybody can be safe and then do things that are fitting, like tailor our day or our week to that group. So as far as um, it's not so much a color progression or a 101, 102, as you see it as in flight one, but it's uh, and it's tricky because you, you, you're trying to track 
you eventually you want to know where everybody, everybody's coming to your camp. You want to know where everybody's level is at. And with a lot of people, you've seen them before and you know, or you ask for references. And with some people, you don't know. And that's where the, the secret is simplifying. And that's one of the things that we teach in the leading workshop. If you're not sure, simplify. Lower number of people, simple jump, flatter angles. And then you see, you learn what people are capable of. At, at okay. one minute and 12, one hour, 12 minutes, Chris, I'm, I have multiple other questions, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and stop myself. Well, Sharon, I, I want to ask you to talk about one thing real quick. And you, you cover this a little bit in the, the movement course with Crave, but it has stuck with me. I mean, that was, that was almost three years ago that we recorded that course. Um, nice. But that has stuck with me and it's, it's really blessed me. And what it was is you were talking about when you have an opportunity to go on a jump that is below your skill level and why that is a good opportunity, why that's, why you should not look down on that and say, oh, well, that's too easy. Those people are, they're not very good. Or I'm, I mean, obviously that's, you don't have to have that cocky attitude, but you talked about that in the course. And since that time, it's been such a blessing to me. And I found myself, not that I'm some great skydiver, I'm, I'm pretty average, but times when I've been on, had an opportunity to go with people that were new, younger, less experienced. And I utilized that mindset that you taught me. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Will 100%. you please talk? Because I, mean, I really think that will benefit and bless a lot of our listeners. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's not just skydiving, right? It's everything that you do. Taking a step back and simplifying is going to teach you so much more. Just be, taking a step back to where you're not constantly at your edge, mm -hmm. but you're able, you're in your comfort zone. So now you can like open your visuals, whether it's literally or figuratively, um, and, and see more and understand more. So when it comes to skydiving, uh, or movement jumps, right? If you're constantly going at your max speed and your max, you know, like the steepest angle, then you're constantly in that uh, tight position of like push. Um, so there's no way you can think of, I don't know, your head or changing the position of your feet or breathing uh, or anything else, really. When you fly in a position where you feel comfortable, right? In an angle and a speed you feel more comfortable in, that's where, first of all, it, it, it lifts your confidence a lot, right? Like just, just being in that state of mind where you're not stressed, you're flying and you're not stressed, that, that alone does a lot. Uh, and also, um, all of a sudden you see more, you can see the ground. Oh, you know, you can, you can see the leader, not just as an object, but you can see what the leader is doing. Um, you can check in with your body and try different body positions. Uh, you can focus on your breathing. Uh, there's so many things that we tell people that they never really get because they're also always flying on their edge. So they can't contain so much information. They can't, you can't be on your edge and concentrate on your breathing and you, you, you're surviving. Uh, so taking a step back is going to allow you to fix the technical things, to, to open the tunnel vision. And it's true for any discipline and it's true for most things you do in life. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and that's been so good for me over the past few years 
is when you go on those jumps that really they're kind of easy for you, right? I mean, it's a, it's a jump that's kind of easy. It's it's well within your skill set, but it gives you the opportunity to do all those things, to just relax, to breathe, to notice new all that stuff that you said. And it also, there's a, there's a different um, sense of joy and fun in those jumps because it's just so... It's kind of easy. You're present. Yeah, you're, pre- you're, you're present. You're there. Yes, you're there. that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, you're really taking in the whole jump, and uh, mm-hmm. it's really fun. Yeah, and I think you, I think you have an opportunity to actually learn in a different way because your mind is so relaxed. It's easier for your mind to take in and process and receive all that other information that normally you wouldn't even be aware of, and you actually. You're actually improving your skills in a way that maybe you couldn't otherwise. Well, it's back to the relaxed relax thing, which again is a trigger for me when people are told, well, just, if you just relax, you'll be fine. <laughs> Nobody in the history of the universe has ever relaxed by being told to relax. Um, but uh, I think that if you're on your edge, you can't do things that will help you relax. So I, I I don't like the word, I don't like to use relax, but I like breathing, mm. you know, being conscious of your breath, using your breath as a tool. Um, you can't do that when you're on your edge. You can't do that when you're just like, just trying to stay still and not fly off the jump. Um, but but it's, it's a skill that needs to be practiced and it can only be practiced. It's kind of like the flat flying, I said, when you're in when you're in your comfort zone or more in your comfort zone, that's when you can work on technique. That's when you can work on establishing tools that are then you can apply them to where you need them. So if all I need to do is relax because I'm flying like a super stiff when I'm stiff and I'm constantly shaking, then all I need to do is to take a step back, do jumps that are more in my comfort zone, learn the tool of breathing. Then I can apply the tool of breathing when I'm feeling like this. And all of a sudden I will be more relaxed. But I can't learn that when I'm at my max. Yeah. I think an analogy that a lot of skydivers might understand if, if they don't do a lot of angle flying is a, a belly flyer or a free flyer who's just maxed out on their fall rate, either on the fast end or the slow end. And, yeah. and, and while you're doing it, say you're trying to go slow on your belly and all I can do is just spread everything out. And I, I, I can't think about my dock. I can't think about where I'm supposed to be on the formation. This is all I got right now. And then as soon as you catch up to the formation or the fall rate increases and you can relax back to something that's a little more uh, within your, your range, oh, well, cool. Oh, I'm supposed to dock right there. And yeah, I need to fly forward or, or whatever. But, but when you're operating at those, the, the extremes of, of your ability, it's very difficult to, to process much more than what you're doing. Yeah, I think it's one of the reasons that helping other people learn or teaching, or even if you're not officially a coach, but um, teaches you a lot. Because again, you're in a place where you're doing things you know how to do and you're getting a different perspective of them uh, and your mindset is completely different. So, and it's a confident boost as well. And skydiving is a mental sport. So it's, it's nice to know what you're capable of, but you're not going to learn it if you're constantly pushing. Yeah. You constantly and, feel like you're going to flail every second, any second. Yeah. Well, and you just feel the pressure to do everything perfect and perform and, and not mess up, you know. I don't, you don't want to be the one to screw up the whole jump for everybody. So it's just so much pressure versus if yeah. it's something that's easy for you. And on, on that note, it's supposed to be fun though. Yeah, exactly. And, and another thing that it's, I think it's allowed me to do is on some of those jumps, 
um, it's allowed me to actually have the, the, the brain, uh, the mental bandwidth to actually look at the other flyers mm. who are struggling, who are trying to learn and are trying to progress. And it gives me the, you know, I have the, the mental ability to actually see them and see what they're doing and evaluate what they're doing and think about what, what can they do different? And then that actually helps me be better. Like, I mean, that's exactly what you're saying. Like, because then I can be like, oh, wait, I'm, I'm actually doing the same thing they're doing, you know, like mm -hmm. actually notice that I'm doing it too and fix it right there in the jump. Like so awesome, you know, and then to be able to go, go down on the ground and say, oh, I noticed that you were doing this and I was doing it too. And when I did this, this is what happened. Try that next time. And like, it's so cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, Jairus. What, what's what's going well, in your head right now? I mean, we're at an hour and twenty minutes, and normally these are about an hour. Um, I had a, a, a few other questions, but we can have you back at, at some other point. You know, I I don't think that we can. You can't fall back on I'm never doing it because you already did it once. So, <laughs> you know, at some point in the future. Uh, we can revisit some of this stuff. I mean, it's not like angle flying is going to stop being a popular discipline. It's there's, there's always going to be evolutions to that, uh, that part of skydiving. And I think that you will remain on somewhat the cutting edge of that discipline. And so I'm sure in the future, you'll have more new things to say. And I can, I don't know, I'm trying to remember. I mean, I'm not going to remember for five minutes, but I can try and remember this stuff. You can tell Steph and she'll remind you. Yes, for sure. Now, I mean, exactly. there's, there's plenty of people that you can talk to as well that, uh, yeah. So maybe, maybe a good way to wrap up is were, were we recording when we all talked about our, like we all talked about our day? Cause you had a, you had a pretty fun day recently. Uh, did, was that while we were recording when you talked about flying with Ario? Uh, I, don't, I don't think we were recording. I don't think we were recording yet. So my yeah, daughter, that's... my daughter went in the tunnel with uh, uh, another daughter of a friend. That's a Kai Kai, whoever knows Kai Kai. Oh yeah. And, uh, and they were playing around, and it was amazing to get to play around the tunnel with them. And she decided she wants to free fly. She kept giving us the sit flying uh, signal. <laughs> kept transitioning to <laughs> flying head up. Uh, she even went head down a few times. It was it was amazing. I was now, as, a, as a proper that... angle flying parent. Did you did you start showing her how to carve? And she was tracking, man. She was going like, <laughs> it's like yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it was good. It was good. And I didn't get to talk about the joy riders, but maybe have one of the joy riders on. Yeah, I mean, uh, while lot, we've been sitting here, there. I I mean, I'm I'm always. Chris and I like having people on and, and, um, and in this conversation, Epo Fabian, uh, when you, when we started talking about Epo, he's like the European version of Mike Swanson, in my opinion. So Swanson came to mind, Cheryl Stearns, while you were talking about, you know, women who've, who've been prominent in the sport, Cheryl's, I mean, about as prominent as there will ever be. Um, and Jimmy and Sarah, uh, and I know Jimmy, Sarah wasn't on the Joy Riders, but uh, Amy was. And, um, I mean, Domi, you know, just, Domi's a good Domi. fan. Hannah's a good fan. Yeah. Sure. And, and it, honestly, it made me think when you were talking about those European flyers that I haven't really branched out. I mean, it, to be honest, some of it has to do with the time difference. But but just, you know, all those, there's all that 
knowledge base that's sitting over there overseas or Australia or yeah, I need to be mm-hmm. a little more a little more international in my thinking. So thanks for that. Yeah, if Fred finds the time, then that would be an amazing <laughs> conversation. Yeah. Yeah, there's that. There's plenty more. Yeah. Definitely Australia's got some solid flyers there that you get yeah. to talk to. Yeah. Okay. T- two more things real quick before we go. These won't take long. Number one, Sharon, like I said at the beginning, you, you've, you really have invested a lot of your own time and energy and effort um, and some of your own money, I'm sure too, into Crave. Why, why have you been willing to do that? Why do you think Crave is a, can you, will you give a plug for Crave? Just a sincere, what do you think about it? Why <laughs> is it a good thing? Um... I mean, I, I love it. I love the concept. I love that you went with it. I know it was, it was a big risk. Anybody investing in skydiving is taking a big risk. I think. <clears throat> and I uh, really admire the, um, the project. Uh, I love learning. I love teaching. I think there's so much in skydiving that we don't talk about because we're so busy being stoked throughout the day, which is great. Um, but we don't maybe have enough opportunities except for like occasional safety days to to get educated um i like the the media right the like having short videos being able to show diagrams and videos and examples i think is great um it's been it's been great for me i've learned a lot i got to hang out with the people that i enjoy or and or admire uh, and learn from them. Um, it allowed me to apply some critical thinking and, and be creative with some things behind the scenes or with scripts. And yeah, it's been fun. Got to see Jaira struggle in front of the camera. It was super fun. So, you know. <laughs> cool. Thank time. you. And and the other thing, I just want to give a clear, some clear information about the leading workshop. Because that's, that's really a, an awesome thing. And there's a lot of people who have benefited. A lot of people who have, who's just their, their knowledge, which translates into safety has, you, you guys have helped so many people on so many drop zones be so much safer. And when, when these leaders, people organizing and leading these jumps are being safer, that means you're, you're saving, you're helping hundreds of people be safe. So the leading workshop, if you're listening, the, give, give a clear explanation of what it is and how people can find out about it and be a part of one. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, so the leading workshop, uh, are, a, it's a two day workshop that includes uh, a lot of theory, a lot of discussions. It's a small group format because we have a lot of talking and a lot of sharing. Uh, we want to be able to tailor it for the different people that we have in front of us. Um, and not just teach theory. And we have, we also give the participants an opportunity to lead jumps, not because, so each participant would lead a jump if they feel comfortable with it, not because we feel like that one jump is going to teach them how to be a better leader, but it gives us a chance to kind of um, dirty our hands, right? And, and see the things that we talk about in the classroom all the time. And it lobbies up some more things for discussion. Uh, but you don't have to lead the jump. You don't necessarily even have to have the experience to be on the jumps. You can just be on the ground, uh, do the ground theory and uh, and get a lot out of it. We talk about everything uh, between navigation, understand the conditions, um, 
the body flying aspect of things, uh, briefing, debriefing, and the personal progression side of things. So understanding what kind of um, um, marks I need to hit to be able to do certain things and how can I create my own path to do that. Uh, and then we have a few coaches giving it around the world. We have uh, Jesse Tex-Leos, we got Luis Pernetto, we got Luis Adolfo lopez Mendez. Uh, ben LeMay is going to start giving them soon from Life Fly for Life. So there's definitely options around the world. I also give them online as well. So that's another option. It's obviously without the jumps, but uh, we can tailor it to the times and uh, days that are appropriate for the whoever wants to participate. Um, we have some of those um, dates already set up at Modern Skydiving, dot, uh, Modern Skydiving on Facebook. Uh, Modern have, Skydiving have, Concepts, right? Modern Skydiving Concepts. And I can send the link as well. We can put a link in the comments. Uh, and then, of course, people can contact us. And we, because it's such small groups, we do groups of five or six, then it's really easy to just get a group together, contact us, and we can get you in touch with one of the instructors that can do it at your drop zone. Or you can travel here to the land or travel to one of the drop zones that's closer to you where the instructor is uh, located. Yeah, awesome. But yeah, I mean, for me, that's I love those workshops. I feel like I learn a lot. I feel like people learn a lot. And I do. I, I think they bring a lot of value. Yeah. Awesome. So modern skydiving concepts, they can look that up on Facebook. Um, they can look you up on Facebook or they can reach out to us. If you want to connect with Sharon, if you want to be a part of a leading workshop, you can, you can connect with us. We'll, we'll get connected to her. We'll make sure you get in touch and, and get a part of that. And is it, it's correct, right? Even someone who's not, let's say I'm not yet to the point where I am ready to lead jumps. That's okay. I can still benefit and learn and, and really learn a lot of great stuff from the workshop, even if I'm not ready to actually lead. Yeah, we're never going to put you in a position that you're not ready for. It's, it's part of what we teach, right? And we actually find that having a mixed group is really beneficial for all parties. So we have people, we have, sometimes we have groups with people that have a lot of experience, thousands of jumps, a lot of organizing experience together with people that are barely did any movement jumps at all. And they just want to learn things before they get into it. Mm. Uh, and they learn a lot from each other because of the way the workshop works, the way that it's a lot of discussions and a lot of questions and answers and everybody sharing from their experience. It actually, it works really well because a lot of times we forget what it was to learn things. So we we don't know what people don't know. Same, things might seem obvious to us. So being in a format with people that have less experience is actually really beneficial. And obviously, the people with the less experience learn from the people with more experience. So you don't have to have any leading, any movement experience to be in one of those. And we have people take them at different times. And at different times, you, in your progression, you, you pick up different things from the workshop. You're not going to get it all at once. Yeah. You're not going to retain it all at once. Yeah, it's too much. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, Jay Russ. Well, before you say it, okay. I want to make sure we remind people that have listened to this podcast that hopefully we will get into links in the chat for a women's record video, uh, a link to Sharon's leadership course, a link to Sharon's TEDx talk, and yeah, and perhaps a roundabout way to go at Sharon directly if you need more information 
I don't know how much we want to put of you know Sharon's I mean, private Facebook life open to the public. The easiest way. Yeah. Cool. Or Instagram. They can message you through Instagram. One, two, three. Yeah. So yeah. And I'm always open to discussion with people. Or I'm always happy to communicate if anybody has any questions. Or yeah, I I love the community. So yeah. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, you've done it again. You've wasted another perfectly good hour listening to the Crave Show with Chris and J. Russ. <laughs> so thanks for thanks for listening to the show and being a part. Uh, no, ho hopefully, hopefully you learned something. Hopefully you benefit safer, better. Um, just like we always say, get out there in the sky, jump out of an airplane with your friends, have some fun, be safe. Don't forget or just, no, no. Remember why we skydive because it's fun. It's so fun being with our friends, being out there free, full of joy. It's awesome. All right. Well, Jay Russ, thank you. Sharon, thank you so much for joining us. Really awesome to have you on the show. Really fun. All right, everybody. Go have some fun. Crave, do more, be better. See you guys.